It's now time for your Election Crimes Bulletin with Greg Pallast. Well, this is Dennis Bernstein. Greg Pallast joins us again. Uh, you'd think maybe we'd get a break, that uh, election crimes would uh, go on vacation for a week or two, but no, the crimes continue and the battle for your vote continues in Greg Pallast, as always, is on the front lines. But Greg, let's start uh, uh, in D.C. There was another series of convictions of the Oath Keepers uh, for sedition, and uh, we're talking about serious penalties. Do you suppose that this actually could be a setup for uh, an indictment of the former president? Uh, does this attorney general have the courage, I guess, through his surrogate now? Or are they actually too late? Well, I don't know if they're too late, but I will tell you this, that um, these are small fry. And these convictions don't lead up to the president of the United States. We seem to be going down the food chain instead of up. Remember, Stuart Rhodes and uh, Kelly Meggs, his, his partner, they were the founders of Oath Keepers. They've already been convicted. You know, they face up to 20 years for seditious conspiracy. And uh, these two, now these are their four flunkies. I don't want to understate them because flunkies can kill you too. Uh, they kept a, a cache of arms in Virginia waiting to take into the Capitol. Three of the four of them uh, went to the Capitol, broke in, and they're, they're, they didn't use an Abrams tank to attack the Capitol. They showed up in a golf cart, I kid you not, to get through the kind of you know, riot congestion. Uh, so that was their, uh, that was their means, uh, method of invasion. Not exactly D-Day. But they were convicted. They were convicted of two things. They were convicted of seditious conspiracy and obstruction of the conspiracy to obstruct the government proceedings. And if I may be allowed a moment of editorial comment, using seditious conspiracy is really dangerous stuff. And I don't think people, uh, the, you know, the liberal press, are, they're all happy about the Oath Keepers facing these characters facing time in prison. And anyone who has a cache of guns ready to take into the Capitol to stop a proceeding, these are dangerous people. But this whole business is a very wide thing, seditious conspiracy, you know, to attack a government building in, in any form or to try to delay a government proceeding. It's pretty wide and nebulous. And if you remember your history, for those of you who weren't on reefer during that class, we had the Alien and Sedition Acts uh, um, put into law by John Adams uh, because there were some people who objected to the Constitution as written. So they wanted to put people in jail for that. And Thomas Jefferson, he became president and put an end to that law. It, it expired. So the history of using sedition laws to punish criminal behavior, they didn't need it. They had the obstruction uh, charge. They, are, they committed violence. They had weapons. There were weapons charges. They were crossing state lines with weapons to create mayhem. There are several things that they could have used which Americans would recognize as, as, as real crimes. But opening up the door to seditious conspiracy, remember that the Trump administration had people in Portland charged with seditious conspiracy during uh, protests there because they, had, uh, they were protesting around a federal building and a few got in. The, the big difference, by the way, is that there's no question that these characters had a particular government function that they intended to stop. That is the certification of the vote for president. And that isn't exactly shoplifting. 
I will admit. It's it's probably as close as we're ever going to get to a case of seditious conspiracy. But I just worry about opening that door, especially with these small fry who could be sent to prison for decades on the charges they already have and on other conceivable charges. Uh, yeah. Well, so, it is, so I'm sorry uh, if I'm not a were convictions. applauding this this conviction, but yeah. uh, they were convicted also on the on what I consider real criminal charges, which is obstructive of, of a government uh, proceedings, and it's not just some government proceeding. This wasn't a discussion of, uh, about... The yeah, and they should have been arrested the when they were doing it. And they should have yes, been arrested when they were doing it. Absolutely. For another reason is that we had gotten all their cell phone material, etc., that we had gotten them right there and possibly being able to name the rest. Because uh, we don't know who's been, who has scampered away. And by the way, again, these guys were the so-called bodyguards for um, Roger Stone. Uh, you know, so it's, like I said, we seem to be going down the food chain instead of up. But we may hear some different news out of Georgia. Well, let's let's talk about that because uh, you know there's been a little bit of quiet. Uh, obviously, the battle is never uh, going to end here, and it's only going to be more, more brutal. And as you reported, Greg, uniquely. Uh, the, the, the vote suppressors have already been uh, profoundly effective at suppressing the vote and doing it under the corporate uh, media, uh, you know, uh, wire. Yeah, I mean, one of the, the issues here is the overturning of the vote of the public. But, and when they say Ryan Kemp stood up to that, no, he, he signed SB202 in Georgia, which based, which all but... It was absolutely was a direct cause of a million vote drop in Georgia. So here's a guy who basically blocked a million voters, almost all of them voters of color and young people, and mainly out of the Atlanta and Savannah areas. And we've discussed that. But it's so here you have a guy who really has blocked votes. And if he'd been just a smidgen, you know, if, if that law had been in effect before the election, Trump would have been president and the and the US media said SB202 is not a Jim Crow law and no one would have complained if if Trump had stolen the election form that way but remember he signed SB202 uh, Brian Kemp the governor of Georgia didn't sign it uh, until after the 2020 election after the 2021 January Senate runoff to prevent the re, you know to uh, again basically to do what Trump wants but they, the law wasn't in place at the time. But we do have – so, yes, so there's a big problem at how the U.S. press is covering it, that the only danger was from these wackos. And, you know, now they also are applauding. We got the guy who, you know, put his feet up on Pelosi's desk. I don't know whether that was the guy with the horns or not, but, uh, you know, he's – Yeah, it's the guy with the horns. He got 20 years. Yeah. yeah, but you know what? You know, again, his threat to – uh, our democracy is minor compared to the threat of Brian Kemp, who's now, you know, uh, again, uh, the Wall Street Journal. Let, let me, um, Greg, Greg let, me, let me just come back to that. Let me, let me just come back to the sedition for a moment. Oh, these mics are screwed up a little bit today. But let me, okay. let me, um, uh, now, you may be right uh, at the lower level not to press for sedition, but in fact, isn't that exactly what Trump is guilty of? Well, I mean, uh, if we're talking if sedition, law, he is the one you want to use that charge. 
Well, it's it's about now. Here's the interesting language of the uh, seditious conspiracy law, which is you know which goes back to the Civil War, 1861, signed by Lincoln. It is someone one charge is delaying an official government function, which might sound pretty minor, except what Trump clearly was happy to do was um, use allow the use of force to delay the certification of the vote, one of the most important procedures in American government, maybe the most important procedure of American government, is to uh, certify an election. And violence was used. He delayed stopping the violence. So the question is, would seditious conspiracy apply in that case? Uh, There are other – statutes which I think are, are clearer. But don't expect anything, very frankly, from the Justice Department. They're very squeamish about indictments of a sitting president. And, you know, Merrick Garland is the definition of uh, our attorney general, is the definition of squeamish. I think we may see something different from uh, the grand jury that's being impaneled now in Georgia. I think that they'll be impaneled. We have to wait for a judge to review the um, the first grand jury's report, and then they have a, an indi- a jury that would be uh, have the power to indict. The last grand jury did not have power to indict. They had power to investigate. But there is something, by the way, that just came out of the January 6th committee, which is very important for uh, Fannie Willis's in possible prosecution. Again, Atlanta. Fannie Willis is the Atlanta, that is Fulton County, prosecutor. In that her strong, her, a weak case would be the phone call between the president and the secretary of state, Brad Raffensperger, which transcript I've heard many times. He's pretty careful. Remember, he's not a lawyer. He's saying, find me 11,780 votes, giving him one more vote than Biden. But he's not directing him to change or disqualify legitimate votes. Now, other conversations he had, for example, with the deputy secretary of state, that may be different, but we don't have that recording. We only have the Raffensperger recording. And the Raffensperger recording, he's basically saying, look, there was all this cheating you ought to investigate. There's a way it'd be almost impossible to get a conviction of Trump, and I doubt if she'd be able to get even an indictment of Trump for that call. However, the real danger for Donald Trump is in the other part of her investigation, which is we've talked about it's really subtle for most Americans on um, this one, which is the creation of a fake set of electors, or what Trump and his gang and Giuliani call the alternative set of electors. And remember, you don't vote for Trump or Biden. You don't vote for president. You vote for these people called electors whose names – may have even been hidden on your ballot, as they are, for example, in California. You have to kind of look up who the electors are. Uh, you get people who are committed to certain candidates. But that is the process in our Constitution. Here's the, here's the question, though. When, when uh, John Eastman, the attorney who is probably is, has a good chance of being indicted as well, came up with the idea that just use an all just have a bunch of people say that they are the properly elected electors and have them as the alternatives. Mike Pence rejects the duly elected electors who've been certified, and you have these alternative, these alternates 
who can then vote and say that they represent the voters of Georgia. The, the problem with that is we've had contested elections in the United States. In fact, we've had you know, Trump-like uh, operators who were just smarter, who used alternative sets of electors, but they were electors. That is, they were on a ballot. These people who are the alternative electors for Donald Trump in Georgia, not one of them was on the ballot. Not one of them was an elector that anyone voted for. And again, we don't tend to know the names of the electors. We vote for Trump or Biden, but you're actually voting for this slate of people. None of these people ran for office. That is, you run for elector. It's like Dennis Bernstein saying, well, I'm the alternative mayor of San Francisco. Well, Dennis, you got to get on the ballot. You can complain that the election was stolen, but you can't claim an election was stolen if you were never on the ballot. These people were not on the ballot. They signed and certified mm-hmm. papers saying that they were elected, and here's the killer line. When Rona McDaniel met with, heard from Eastman with the president sitting next to him from the Oval Office with this, con, with this wacky idea of alternative electors, McDaniel memorialized the whole scheme in a memo called the Elector Recap. And when she called Trump's assistant, one of the executive assistants in the White House, and said, has Trump seen the Elector Recap memo? The assistant said, he's reading it now. It's on his desk. He's reading it now. Now, if Trump really read it now, that little tiny thing of reading that memo now – then he's a co-conspirator, not only a co-conspirator, but like really the ringleader because he's the guy who's pushing it. If he actually right. knew that he was presenting false electors, his only excuse, I think, would be, I'm not a lawyer. I listened to this guy, Eastman. He's a professor at Claremont, a law professor, and, and yes, my other lawyers disagreed with him, but to me that's a disagreement among lawyers. So there might be some difficulty there, but that's mm-hmm. the hook. Which is that he was involved, and, and this is where just to, and this is where Jenny Thomas comes in because she was pushing yeah. this fake elector scheme, right? That's what uh, everybody is uh, troubled about in terms of her participation, particularly around this, uh, trying to cajole and uh, influence people to be alternative electors, right? Right, and and this is going to be a problem because if this ends up with the Supreme Court. And you have the wife of a justice who's actually suggested participation in this conspiracy and has been encouraging the co-conspirators. Whether she's named in an indictment uh, – she's named. I'm, I'm sure that Thomas will have to step out. But I, but I think that her kind of cheerleading from the side, and she herself is not an attorney, I think it would be hard to indict her whether they name her. You know, she could be named as an unindicted co-conspirator as part of the – kind of cabal pushing this this scheme. And again, I think a lot of it will come down to whether these people understood that the scheme was illegal. You know, breaking into the Capitol with guns, I think you can pretty much figure you've broken the law. But alternative electors, that's a that's a difficult one. All right. Now, we're just running out of time, and I just want to hit this other thing. We've talked about okay. this before, that the idea of trying to prosecute Trump on the documents he took home, remember? And we said, oh, we better watch out for that because everybody takes documents home. Well, now, 
apparently that could be the gotcha that got Biden, right? Because everybody does do it. My my favorite part of that, though, Greg, is the the various corporate networks, particularly MSNBC, bent over so back, so far backwards, they broke their own backs to try and cover for Biden, and they can't, and they keep coming and coming and coming, file after file. Well, I mean, yes, this is. Okay, obviously we have the hypocrisy issue. Be very careful. That's why I'm concerned about seditious conspiracy convictions because they would like because Trump tried to use it against the left. So we have to be very careful. That's why I'm bringing know, it sauce up. Sauce for the yeah. goose is sauce for the gander. Now, of course, there is a uh, you know any any lawyer is going to tell you there was a big difference between the Biden papers stories right. and uh, Trump because Trump literally resisted. And he apparently lied. The question is, did he knowingly lie that he turned over all the papers when he didn't? Did he lie about the contents? And there's some suggestion he still hasn't turned over all the papers. They have empty file folders. So, I mean, there's some real questions. I mean, in Trump's case, he literally refused. They said, hey, we found that he got some But he declassified them, didn't he, Greg? He declassified them. (laughs) He 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 had the wand. After you're no longer... If you're no longer yeah. president, yeah. you lose the fairy dust wand that declassifies documents. And I think even Biden's going to have a tough time, like after the fact, not saying, "Oh, you're declassified." <laughs> it's like it's not like some holy water you can sprinkle. There's a process right. for declassifying documents. Even the president cannot wave a wand and say, "This is declassified." There is a process, and Biden knows he's too late for that process to get himself off the hook. And certainly, Trump. Um, someone's got to tell him it doesn't say Air Force One on on the outside of his plane. <laughs> All right. That's Greg Palast. We do this weekly. It's the Election Crimes Bulletin. And believe me, there's plenty of crimes coming up for the next uh, election or two, and we're going to be on it. Thank you, Greg. GregPalast.com. Check it out. He is on the cutting edge of fighting for your vote. Thanks, Greg. You're very welcome, Dennis. Bye.